Section 12 of The Waning of the Middle Ages, a study of the forms of life, thought, and art in France and the Netherlands in the 14th and 15th centuries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Andrew M. Byron. The Waning of the Middle Ages by Johann Huizinger. Translated by Frederick Jan Hopman. Section 12. The Idyllic Vision of Life. The lasting vogue of the pastoral genre towards the end of the Middle Ages implies a reaction against the ideal of courtesy. Weary of the complicated formalism of chivalrous love, the aristocratic soul renounces the overstrung pretension of heroism in love and praises rural life as the escape from it. The new, or rather revived, bucolic ideal remains essentially an erotic one. Still, there is a strain of bucolic sentiment, the inspiration of which is rather ethical than erotic. We may perhaps distinguish it from the pastoral proper by calling it the idea of the simple life or of aurea mediocritas. It is continually merging into the other. The negation of the chivalric ideal arises among the nobles themselves. It is in court literature that sarcastic or sentimental criticism of it springs up. The burghers, on the other hand, are always striving to imitate the forms of the noble life. Nothing could be falser than to picture the third estate in the Middle Ages as animated by class hatred or scorning chivalry. On the contrary, the splendor of the life of the nobility dazzles and seduces them. The rich burghers take pains to adopt the forms and the tone of the nobility. Philip of Arteveld, the leader of the Flemish insurgents, whom one would like to picture as a simple, sober revolutionary, kept a state like a prince's. His going in to dinner is announced by music. His meals are served up on silver plate, like that of a count of Flanders. He goes about dressed in scarlet and miniver, preceded by his unfurled pennon showing a sable scutcheon with three silver hats. The great financier, Jacques Coeur, whom one instinctively thinks of as a modern, took a lively interest, according to Jacques de Lalingue's biographer, in the fantastic and useless projects of that anachronistic knight-errant. Among those who freed themselves from the chivalric illusion, seeing the misery and the falsehood of it, we must begin with those practical and frigid minds which were, so to say, opposed to it by temperament. Such were Philippe de Comines and his master Louis XI. In describing the Battle of Montlhéry, Comines abstains from all heroic fiction, no fine exploits, no dramatic turns. He only gives us a realistic picture of comings and goings, of hesitations and fears. He takes pleasure in telling of flights and noting how courage returned with security. He rejects all chivalrous terminology and scarcely mentions honor, which he treats almost as an inevitable evil. The ideal of chivalry tallies with the spirit of a primitive age, susceptible of gross delusion and little accessible to the corrections of experience. Sooner or later, intellectual progress demands a revision of this ideal. It does not disappear, however, it only sheds its two fantastic tendencies. 
chivalry, far from being completely disavowed, drops its affectation of a quasi-religious perfection, and will be henceforth only a model of social life. The knight is transformed into the cavalier who, though still keeping up a very severe code of honor and of glory, will no longer claim to be a defender of the faith or a protector of the oppressed. The modern gentleman is still ideally linked with the medieval conception of chivalry. The requirements of moral, aesthetic, and social perfection weighed too heavily on the knight. This highly praised chivalry, considered from any point of view whatever, could not conceal its inherent falsity. It was a ridiculous anachronism, a piece of factitious making up. No social utility, no moral value, everywhere vanity and sin. Even as an aesthetic game, the courtly life ended by boring the players. So they turned to another ideal, that of simplicity and repose. Does this mean that the disillusioned nobles turned to a spiritual life? Sometimes they did. At all times, the lives of many courtiers and soldiers have ended in the renunciation of the world. More often, however, they are content themselves to seek elsewhere the sublime life which chivalry failed to give. From the days of antiquity, a promise had been held out of an earthly felicity to be found in rural life. Here, true peace seemed attainable without strife, simply by flight. Here was a sure refuge from envy and hatred, from the vanity of honors, from oppressive luxury and cruel war. Medieval literature inherited from the classic authors the theme of the praise of the simple life, which may be called the negative side of the bucolic sentiment. Court life and aristocratic pretension are disavowed in favor of solitude, work, and study. In the 14th century, this theme had found its typical expression in France in Le Dit de Franc Gantier of Philippe de Vitry, Bishop of Meaux, musician and poet and a friend of Petrarch. Soubs feuilles verts, sur herbe délitable, les roues et préclair fontaine, trouvé fiché une borde portable, il est comme gautier aux damelaines, fromage frais, les bures fromagers, crème, maton, pomme, noix, prune, poire, eau et oignon, escaillons froyés. Sur cruste bise, au gros sel, pour mieux boire. Footnote. Under green leaves, on delightful grass near a noisy brook and a clear fountain, I found a portable board. There Gontier took his meal with Dame Hélène on fresh cheese, milk, cream, and cheese, curds, apple, nut, plum, pear, garlic and onions, chopped shallots, on a brown crust, with coarse salt to drink the better. End footnote. After the meal, they kiss, quote, both the mouth and the nose, the soft and the shaggy, end quote. Then Gontier goes off to fell a tree, while Hélène goes to do the washing. Joy Gontier en l'abattant son arbre, Dieu mercier de sa vie serrée. Ne sait, dit-il, que son pilier de marbre, pommeau luisant, mur vestus de peinture, 
Je n'ai pas peur de trésor tissu. Soubs beau semblant ne compose un essoil. En vaisseau d'or, je n'ai la teste nue. Devant tyran, ne genual qui s'y ploie. Verge d'huissière, jamais ne me déboute, car jusque-là ne m'esprend convoitise. Ambition, ne lécherie goutte. La bourre me peste en joyeuse franchise. Moult jamais Hélène est-elle moins sans faille. Et c'est assez. De tomber n'avoncure. Lors j'ai dit, là, serf de cour ne volmaille, mais francondier vous en non jamais pur. Footnote. I heard Gontier in felling his tree thank God for his life of security. I do not know, he said, what are pillars of marble, shining pommels, walls decorated with paintings. I have no fear of treason hidden under fine appearances, nor that I shall be poisoned in a gold cup. I do not bear my head before a tyrant, nor bend my knee. No usher's rod ever turns me away, for no covetousness, ambition, nor lechery entice me to court. Labor holds me in joyous liberty. I love Hélène dearly, and she loves me without fail, and that is enough. We are not afraid of the grave. Then I said, Alas, a serf of the court is not worth a doigt, but Frangontier is worth a sure gem set in gold. End footnote. We observe how here already the motif of the simple life is coupled with that of natural love. For later generations, the poem of Philippe de Vitry remained the classic expression of the bucolic sentiment and of the happiness procured by security and independence, frugality and health, useful labor and conjugal love, without complications. Eustache Deschamps imitated him in a number of ballads of which one follows its model very closely. En retournant d'une cour souveraine où j'avois longuement séjourné un embusquet dessous une fontaine trouvé Rubin le franc en chapelet, chapeau de fleurs, avoici la foublée dessus son chiffre et Marion Sadru, etc. Footnote. Returning from a sovereign's court where I had long sojourned, in a bush near a fountain I found Robin the free, his head crowned. With chaplets of flowers had he adorned his head, and Marion his beloved. End footnote. Generally, however, he simply praises the golden mean. Je ne requiert à Dieu far qu'il me droit en ce monde de lui servir et l'oeur, vivre pour moi cote entière pour point, aucun cheval pour mon labour porter, et que je puisse mon istat gouverneur moyennement en Grèce, sans envie, sans trop avoir, et sans pain demander, car aujourd'hui est la plus servie. Footnote I only ask of God to give me that I may serve and praise him in this world, live for myself, my coat or doublet whole, 
one horse to carry my labor, and that I may govern my estate in mediocre style, in grace, without envy, without having too much, and without begging my bread. For this day is the safest life. End footnote. The quest of glory or of gain does but entail misery. Only the poor man is happy. He lives tranquilly and long. Un ouvrier ayant pauvre charton va meuvestu, déchiré et déchaud, mais en ouvrant, prend en gré, ses travaux et l'imant fait son œuvre finir. Par nuit d'or bien, peu se en tel scuère, l'oiseau vaut quatre rois et le règne finir. Footnote. A working man and a poor wagoner go about ill-dressed in torn clothes and ill-shod, but, laboring, he takes pleasure in his work and merrily finishes it. At night he sleeps well, and therefore such a royal heart sees four kings and their reigns end. End footnote. The picture of a working man surviving four kings pleased him so much that he used it several times. The editor of Deschamps' works, Monsieur Gaston Reynaud, supposes that the poems of this tendency all date from the last period of his life when, deprived of his functions, forsaken and disappointed, he has at last learned to understand the vanity of court affairs. This is perhaps going too far. These poems would seem rather to be the expression of sentiments, more or less conventional, current among the nobility itself in the midst of court life. The theme of contempt for a courtier's life enjoyed great favor with a group of scholars who, towards the end of the 14th century, mark the beginning of French humanism, and whose circle was connected with that of the leaders of the great councils of the church. Pierre Dali himself is the author of a poem forming a companion piece with that of Franc Gontier. The tyrant, in contrast with the happy rustic, leading the life of a slave in continuous fear. The theme was admirably fit to be treated in the epistolary style after the model of Petrarch. Jean de Montreuil tried his hand at it, so did Nicolas de Clemange three times over. A secretary to the Duke of Orléans, the Milanese Ambrose de Milis, addressed to Gontier Cole a Latin letter in which courtier dissuades his friend from entering into court service. Translated into French, this letter figures among the works of Alain Chartier under the title Le Curial, and afterwards Robert Gauguin translated it back into Latin. The theme was even worked out by a certain Charles Rochefort in a long-winded allegorical poem, L'Abusé en Cour, afterwards attributed to King René. Toward the end of the 15th century, Jean Mesquinot still rhymes as follows. La cour est une mer, dans ce vague de gueille, dont vit orage, irrésume de bas, et tout rage qui l'enef jette souvent bas, très onifète son personnage, n'ajoutre par portez et bas. Footnote. 
The court is a sea whence come waves of pride, thunderstorms of envy. Wrath stirs up quarrels and outrages, which often cause the ships to sink. Treason plays its part there. Swim elsewhere for your amusement. End footnote. In the 16th century, the old motif had lost nothing of its freshness. For the most part, the praises of a frugal life and of hard work in the fields are not based on the delights of simplicity and labor in themselves, nor on the security and independence they seem to confer. The positive content of the ideal is the longing for natural love. The pastoral is the idyllic form assumed by erotic thought. Just like the dream of heroism which is at the bottom of the ideas of chivalry, the bucolic dream is somewhat more than a literary genre. It is a craving to reform life itself. It does not stop at describing the life of shepherds with its innocent and natural pleasures. People want to imitate it, if not in real life, at least in the illusion of a graceful game. Weary of factitious conceptions of love, the aristocracy sought a remedy for them in the pastoral ideal. Facile and innocent love amid the delights of nature seemed to be the lot of country people, theirs to be the truly enviable form of happiness. The villain, in his turn, becomes an ideal type. The antique form of bucolic life still satisfied the aspirations of the waning Middle Ages. No need is felt to correct the pastoral fiction in accordance with real life. The new enthusiasm for nature does not mean a truly deep sense of reality, not even a sincere admiration for work. It is only an attempt to adorn courteous manners by an array of artificial flowers, playing at shepherd and shepherdess just as people had played at Lancelot and Guinevere. In the Pastorelle, the short poem relating the facile adventure of the knight with the country girl, pastoral fantasy is still in touch with reality. In the pastoral proper, however, the lover or poet thinks himself a shepherd too. All contact with reality is lost. All things are transferred to a sunlit landscape full of the singing of birds and the playing of reed pipes, where even sadness assumes a sweet sound. The faithful shepherd continues to resemble the faithful knight only too closely. After all, it is courtly love transposed into another key. However artificial it might be, pastoral fantasy still tended to bring the loving soul into touch with nature and its beauties. The pastoral genre was the school where a keener perception and a stronger affection towards nature were learned. The literary expression of the sentiment of nature was a byproduct of the pastoral. Out of the simple words of exultation at the joys caused by sunshine and shade, birds and flowers, the loving description of scenery and rural life gradually develops. 
a poem like le dit de la pasteur of christine de pison marks the transition of the pastoral to a new genre the bucolic idyll then offered itself as a new style for courtly amusement a supplement to chivalry as it were once received as such it becomes another mask the pastoral travesty serves for all sorts of diversions the domains of pastoral fantasy and of chivalric romanticism mingle tournaments are held in the apparel of an eclogue like the pas d'armes de la bergère of king rené these pastoral representations even if they did not really deceive people at least seem to have been regarded as important among his marvels of the world chastelain mentions king rené's playing at shepherd jailli en raie de cécile veut devenir berger et ce femme gentille de ce meilleur mystère portant la pantière la roulette échappe l'engence la prière auprès de leur troupeau on another occasion pastoral fancy had to supply a literary form for political satire it is hard to imagine a more bizarre product than le pastorale a very long poem by a partisan of burgundy who in this pretty disguise relates the murder of louis of orleans for the purpose of exculpating jean saint pere and of venting his spleen on the house of orleans the two hostile dukes represented by tristifer and leone in an environment of country dances and ornaments of flowers tristifer orleans robbing the shepherds of their bread and cheese apples and nuts shepherds reeds and bells and threatening them with his large crook even the battle of agincourt described in pastoral guise one would be inclined to think this style rather flamboyant if we did not remember that ariosto uses the same machinery for exculpating his patron the cardinal d'est who was hardly less guilty than jean sampere the pastoral element is never absent from court festivities it was admirably fitted both for masquerades and for political allegories here the bucolic conception coalesced with another of scriptural origin the prince and his people symbolized by the shepherd and his sheep the duties of the ruler compared to those of the shepherd Machinot sings seigneur tu es de dieu berger garde ses bestes loyalement mais elle en chambre un verger mène les pères d'arcunement pour ta peine en rabon paiement en bien la gardant et ses noms à malheur reçu ses noms footnote lord you are god's shepherd guard his animals loyally lead them to the field or the orchard but lose them by no means you will have good payment for your trouble of guarding them well and if you do not you received this name in an evil hour End footnote. represented in actual mummery 
these ideas naturally took the outward appearance of the pastoral proper. At the marriage feasts of Charles the Bold and Margaret of York at Bruges in 1468, an entremont glorified the princesses of yore as, quote, noble shepherdesses who formerly tended and guarded the sheep of the Pays de Pardessa, the provinces over here, end quote. At Valenciennes in 1493, the revival of the land after the devastations of war was represented, quote, all in pastoral style, end quote. Even in war, the pastoral game was kept up. The stone mortars of the Duke of Burgundy before Grinson are called, quote, the shepherd and the shepherdess, end quote. Philippe de Ravestin takes the field with four and twenty noblemen. They are all dressed up as shepherds and carry shepherds' pouches and crooks. As the Roman de la Rose had done, because of its contrast with the chivalric ideal, so the bucolic ideal in its turn gave rise to an elegant quarrel. A number of variations had been made on the theme of Franc Gontier. Every one had declared that he was sighing for a diet of cheese, apples, onions, brown bread, and fresh water, for a woodcutter's work with its liberty and carelessness. But aristocratic life still looked very little like it, and skeptics were aware of the inherent falsity of the factitious ideal. Villon unmasked it. In Les Contredits Frangontiers, he opposed to the idealized country man and his love under the roses, the fat cannon free from care, tasting good wines and the joy of love in a comfortable room, supplied with an ample hearth and a soft bed. The brown bread and the water of Frangontier. Tous les oiseaux d'ici en Babylone, à Telesco en seule journée, ne me Footnote. All the birds from here to Babylon, with such a fair, a single day would not keep me. No, not one morning. End footnote. End of section 12.